Good morning, everybody. I want a show of hands real quick. How many people in here like sports or watch sports? A few. How many people are into music? It's a little more. What about acting, like movies and stuff like that? Not too many. Okay. So uh, as I was praying about this message, I I began thinking about those very things. I was always into sports. We uh, grew up watching all my... I can tell you a whole lot about sports that nobody should even know as much at times. And uh, for me, like growing up, I always had my favorite people. Some that some I liked because of the way they played. Some I liked just because they were that great, you know. And uh, so in, in any sport or anything you have, people begin ranking people, right? So in basketball, you're going to have the all-stars. You're going to have a group. Uh, at the end of the year, well, closer to the middle of the year, where you would choose the best players in the league and they would have, they would play against each other. And people would watch it because you're seeing the best of the best go against the best. Not as much. They don't watch it as much anymore because it's not much of a game. But football, same thing. You had the Pro Bowl, baseball, you had the All-Star game. In, in, in music, anytime a couple bands come together and your favorite bands are together, you're just sitting there and you're like, these guys are awesome, right? And if I ask you right now, if you're into music, who's your favorite band, you would know immediately, right? If I ask you, who do you think was the greatest guitarist of all time? Those of you guys that are really into music, you're going to be like, oh, this one, and this is why, right? Same thing with drummers, singers, all that. We always know, like, if I said, hey, if you could choose them, uh, five actors, actresses to make a movie together, you would sit down and you'd rack your brain to figure out who were the best, right? And because as humans, that's what we do. We rate everything. We want the best of the best, right? And uh, so as I was praying yesterday, as I put my notes together, I find out that yesterday was the NFL Hall of Fame induction for 2022. So there's four guys, I knew two of them, I think, that are going into the NFL Hall of Fame, which means they had to really be the best of the best. And not just the best of the best of the people they're playing against, but the best of the best of all times, right? So those who would be considered the greatest players of all times, they make it to the Hall of Fame. Same thing with, uh, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, you go and you look at a list of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you start looking at names and what bands they were in and you're like, oh yeah, I get it. That one was awesome. And you, and same thing with actors. You know, there's a Hall of Fame for it. And, you know, there's award shows for everything now. There's, uh, you got the ESPYs in sports. You have, uh, what is it, the Grammys, Oscars, something like that you have from acting. And then, I don't know, you know the award shows. I don't know them for the, the acting and the music, but... We like to rate stuff. We like to see the best of the best. And so um, the other week when I was thinking about this and praying about it, I was thinking, like, who would be the best of the best right now for Christianity? Like, if you had to choose an all-star team for the church, who would it be? And uh, you can start trying to rack your brain, and you're like, maybe Franklin Graham would lead that list, or or maybe Tony Evans would be up there. You know, and you can start thinking of people who were who've made a name for themselves, right? You would think, like, these people seem to be doing something for the kingdom. And then if you went to the Hall of Fame, or Hall of Faith, as it is in Hebrews 11, which we're going to be in here in a minute, there's a whole list of people who are all-time greats, right? And you read them, and you're like, 
these were those guys. And, like, if you're a true fan of sports, the guys in the Hall of Fame, you're like, wow, those guys are awesome. Or the people in whatever Hall of Fame you, of what you like, you're like, that's the one. I like those people. And it's the same thing with the Hall of Faith. We read these guys and we're like, you look at them, you're like, man, these guys had it together. And uh, so I want to I talk about these guys and, and Hebrews 11 and, and how they get there. And the, the title of this message is going to be Future Hall of Faith Inductees, right? Because nobody starts out in the Hall of Faith. You just end up there eventually. And, uh, and every athlete, every actor, every musician, everybody who's into a, a uh, has some kind of trade that they're good at, they want to be noticed as one of the best in the end. And I don't know about you, but whenever I make it to heaven, I want to think like I've, I've accomplished all that I can accomplish, right? I want to be listed in that hall of faith. Will I be? Maybe not, but I want to be. And I'm going to live my life, and hopefully one day people are like, that's a guy in the hall of faith, right? So I'm going to pray as you guys turn to Hebrews 11. I'm just going to ask God to uh, speak to us today. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for being such an amazing God. Lord, I pray that as, as your word comes today, Lord, that I would get out of your way, Lord. You would speak to our hearts, Lord, and each of us would receive it. And we would allow it to change us, Lord. Lord, let it be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Hebrews 11 starts out and says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, to the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that was what is seen was not made out of things that are Visible. So, uh, commendation is a, an award of honor, right? It's given to somebody, it's a high praise, it's given to somebody for something they did. And as we read that, you think like these people were rewarded for their faith. But I'm going to read the, uh, amplified version of this because the way the amplified reads it, I just, I really like how they read it. And it says, uh, Actually, I'm going to read to four. I'm going to read four first. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though which he was commended as righteous, God commended him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he, will, he still speaks. And in the Amplified, that would be prompted, actuated by faith, Abel brought God a better and more acceptable sacrifice than Cain because of which it was testified of him. In the the other words, it says it was commended as, in this one it says it was testified to him, uh, that he was righteous, that he was upright and in right standing with God, and God bore witness by accepting and acknowledging his gift, and though he died, yet though uh, through the incident he is still speaking. And that very word for uh, commendation is martaro, which is a weird word. It's a uh, Hebrew word. It means to be a witness of. So it actually is talking about like he didn't get an award. It's saying that their their faith was a witness of who they were. It witnessed for them, 
right? And then it also says God witnesses for them because of their faith. It's not, a, it's not like they were given an award. Their faith speaks in, on behalf of them. And that's a big difference, right? So sometimes we think, well, i got to get to the certain place before I can serve the Lord. Or, you know, I hope I can learn this much so God can use me. Or I hope I stop doing this so God will use me. But it says, if you look at what Abel did, whenever it says he offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, I'm, I'm going to read what that says. Uh, in Genesis 4.3, it says, Cain brought fruit from his field, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And it's talking about Abel didn't do such... Uh, it never says that Abel did some miraculous thing. It doesn't even say that Abel was this uh, great leader. It doesn't even say Cain was a horrible person. It just says that Abel brought his firstborn. He brought a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. It also says he was walking with the Lord. And it speaks of the things that Abel was doing. That never, you know, we don't see a whole lot about Abel except for this. You know, two things about Abel from Scripture. One, he was murdered. And if you ask anybody outside the church, if you say, what do you know about Cain and Abel? They're like, well, Abel was murdered. And if you ask them why, most of them are going to say, I have no idea. That's all you know about him. The rest of us know it's because he gave a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. He gave his best to the Lord. He trusted the Lord with what he gave him. Right? But it never tells us that he did anything else. It never tells us that he was, uh, you know, he was keeping people from uh, worshiping false idols. It never tells us he didn't sin. It never told us anything other than he made a pleasing sacrifice. He gave his best. All we know about Cain is he didn't give a pleasing sacrifice. He got mad and he killed his brother. But there's not a lot about them. Yet somehow Abel is in the hall of faith. He's listed in the list of all the people who were faithful. He's listed up there and the first one you hear of. You don't even hear about his dad. You hear about him first. But not much is spoken of him. If you go on in Hebrews, it said, uh, Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended. In other words, his faith was testifying as having been pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Right? And if you look at... Uh, Genesis 5, it talks about Enoch. It tells us he was a father of Methuselah. It talks about how he walked with God, and God found him righteous amongst all people. You know what else it tells us? Nothing else. It doesn't tell us about some great miracle he worked. It doesn't tell us about all these great things he was doing. It talks about how he walked with the Lord, and he had great faith. That's all it tells us. Yet he's still in the hall of faith and we don't know what he did. I would say probably in order to make it to the hall of faith, it's not about your talent. right? In order to make it to the hall of fame in a sport, in some kind of arts, you have to be the most talented. You have to perform better than everybody else. Yet these guys didn't perform enough to even be written in scripture. 
yet they're in the hall of faith. Now, don't get me wrong, they may have been doing some great things, I don't know. It wasn't enough that, that, that God accounted it, testified to what they were doing, he testified only to their faith. He's giving them honor because of their faith, and that's all he's giving them honor for, right? And, and we, have to, we have to remember these things, right? It goes on and says, By faith Noah was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear, construction, uh, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he com- condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous that came by faith. And this is in Genesis 6 and, and 7 that we see it. So he's going right through Genesis, like he's going right through the beginning. But what we don't see about Noah is he's talking about, you know, out of faith he starts building this ark. Before this, all we know is he was upright and walking with the Lord, is what Scripture tells us in Genesis 6 and 7. That he was, he was righteous in, in the Lord. And there was none other than him found righteous in the Lord in that time period. It doesn't say he was doing something great at the time. It doesn't say, like, before this, you know, he was feeding all the homeless and he started a great shelter. It just said he was following the Lord, he was walking with the Lord. And it was commended to him. It doesn't say he was, he's not getting commended by the Lord for building an ark. That was God's plan. That wasn't his plan. He was commended by the Lord for walking with the Lord and having faith. That's what the Lord commended him for. Right? And we know if you follow Noah, his faith was probably about as good as anybody's could be because he's never even seen rain before this moment. And God says, I'm going to bring a great rain. I'm going to flood the lands. You guys are going to be saved on this boat, on this ark. And he built it. And some people would tell you it took 100 years. And some would take you tell you it took less. I, I don't know the exact number. You can kind of do some deductive reasoning of, of about a time period. We do know he was over 500 years old before he even started building it. For the first 500 years, we don't know what he did. 500 years of his life, we have no clue what Moses or what Noah was doing. And uh, I don't know. I would think as an all-star, as like this great faith person, your first 500 years probably should look pretty good. But I don't know. It, it wasn't enough that it was, it was necessary to write about. We go on in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has has foundations. Whose designer and builder is God. You know what we know about Abraham before he went out? Before all this, nothing. We know who his dad was. We know later on he tears down his dad's false idols. We know that. But when God called him, we don't know anything about him. It doesn't tell us he calls him because he saw a lot of promise in him. It doesn't say he called him because he was, you know, doing great works. It tells us that he called him and he just listened. He obeyed. And God commended him for his faith. He testified on his behalf because of his faith. 
right? He went and lived in a land that was desolate. He went and lived in a place that nobody else would have ever thought like, okay, I'm going to follow this. But he was the one person who had faith and was walking with the Lord and said, yes, I'll do it. That's all we know about him. Before this moment, that's all we know. Uh, And if you look at Isaac and Jacob, I mean, Isaac, obviously, if you look at Isaac, who's also counted as having faith, I don't know about you, but when I read the story about Isaac and his lifestyle, he is not the best father in the world, so he didn't get commended for his fatherhood, right? Because his kids are bickering, he, he chooses favorites, you know, his one son's a real manipulator, which brings us to Jacob, who was, you know, not one of us would have trusted Jacob as a friend. And the Israelite people were named after him. He's not a person we would have chose. He, they weren't doing good things, yet God chose them. What they did have was a heart for God. What they did have was a faith that God would do what God said he would do. Right? Like, I look at Jacob, and I'm like... How was he the one? I still, when I read scripture, I will tell you Esau's the one you should have chose. Esau was a man's man. He could whip anybody. But he didn't have a heart for God, so God couldn't use him. But when you read the scriptures, he's the one out doing all the good stuff. Jacob's the one manipulating. Not the one you would choose. But God said, that's the one right there, the one who has a heart for me. The one who so badly will do anything. To be close to me and be my chosen person. He'll do anything. And he said, that's my guy. Not me. I would have said, hey, Esau's my guy. This guy's tough. He's an all-star. Ain't nobody going to stop Esau. But that wasn't what God looked at, right? So we go on and it says, by faith. This one's always funny to me that she's even here. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had a pro- who had promise therefore from one man and him as good as dead was born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore and if you are like me and you read about sarah your first thought is where's her faith you would think like she's trying to devise plans on her own She laughed when God told her she's still going to have a son. But you know what? She never turned from God. Her faith was still in God, and somehow she still believed God. And it wasn't anything other than the fact of her heart that God still chose her. But if we read about her, she wouldn't be our first choice. She wouldn't be the one we chose as being in the hall of faith because we've seen what she did. I'll tell you what, the whole lineage of Jesus Christ, if you go through and you read the lineage of Jesus Christ... None of them should have been in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But they were because they were the ones God could use. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith. And it's the hard part, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them, from after, afar, and having a knowledge that there were, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So these people are living as if the things are going to happen. They're living in this promise. They're not living in, they're not living in what God's doing. They're living in a promise that God's going to do it. 
You know, none of the people that we see here ever come to the realization of Israel being a great nation. None of the people that you see in the Hall of Faith, even all the way up to Moses, they didn't see it. They didn't see what God promised. But they still believed it. They still lived it. We have a promise ourselves. We have a promise of everlasting life. We have a promise of heaven. We have a promise that we are in the kingdom of heaven right now. We're living it. They're living in the kingdom of Israel before it actually becomes to, to pass to where it became a physical thing. And we're living in a kingdom of heaven here on earth and should be living as so as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Even though it hasn't become a physical thing yet. It is a spiritual thing. It is a promise of the Lord. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's how we should be living. Out of faith. And a belief. And walking with God. Right? Who cares about what comes up next? Who cares if what God promised comes to pass right now? We live as if it's real. Because it's real. Right? For people who speak thus make it make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So, God will sometimes call us out of something to go out and live by faith that he's going to do something. What happens when he doesn't do it immediately? Usually we try to return. Right? I always think... Uh, and I'm not going to preach on it, but when Peter gets called out of the boat, like he tells God, he said, Jesus, let me just come to you. And he steps out of the water, Jesus said, let it be, come to me. And he steps out on the water and he falls. He didn't go back to the boat. He reached out to Jesus. Right? We like to go back where we know we're safe. When God calls us out. If God calls us into something and it starts looking off, we're like, ooh, this must not be God because I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. You know what? It was uncomfortable for Abraham. It was uncomfortable for all of the people in the hall. You know who else it was uncomfortable for? Abel. Abel should should have said, whoa, 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 wait, brother, I'll stop. I'll I'll turn. He didn't. Abraham could have went back at any time living in his his father's land because, believe it or not, there was a lot of people that wanted to kill him. At one time, he told this. He said, look, we were good to you because we didn't even try to rape you. You think we got a bad time? Like, the blessing is we're not, you know, we're doing everything else wrong to you, but at least we're not doing that yet. Right? That's the blessing they thought it was. Like, he was in a hard time. Any time, like, he could have turned around. But he never thought of it. All he kept thinking about was God's promise. That's all he ever thought of. But as it is, at, at, but at, as it is, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They weren't even thinking about the land itself. They were thinking of a a heavenly place. They understood God's promise. They understood a Messiah would come. They understood that one day there would be a better place and that we would be restored to God. And that's actually what they were walking in. They're walking in this promise of being one with God again. It really had nothing to do with the land. They knew there was going to be a land. He went there. But Abraham, Jesus said that Abraham knew. He knew him. He knew what was happening. 
right? Jesus said it himself. They knew the whole time the, the promise, and that's what they were walking in. There was faith in that, and they believed in that. And we have a promise we can walk in, or we can keep turning back around and looking for comfort, right? We have these opportunities. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And uh, we've heard this a million times. Like probably every few months you hear somebody preach about the fact that Abraham was going to offer up his son knowing that God was going to make a way for his son to be okay. He actually probably thought his son would be resurrected. Or not. I mean, he did say he would have an offering up there. We don't know. But he for somehow knew that God said through Isaac, I'm going to have a great offspring. And he was still willing to go do it. He trusted God. And sometimes God's like, hey, I need you to stop going over here and working a hundred jobs. And just trust me. Or I need you to stop doing this and trust me. And we're like, I don't think God would do that. Then I'm going to be without. He promised me that I'd be taken care of. How would he tell me to get not do that anymore? And, and probably if I was Abraham in this situation, I would have said, look, God, this can't be you because you promised me that my son would be the heir forever. And, uh, well, I don't think you'd want me to kill him, so I'm not going to listen. That's what I would have done. Because yet again, I would have been acting out of my flesh. But Abraham said, okay, Lord, I trust you, and I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Right? He did it. You ever notice, like, Abraham, like all that you read about Abraham, which is a long story, you never see him do miracles. You never see him do, like, great works necessarily. You just see him be faithful and go wherever God calls him. Yet he spoke about all the time. He's the father of many nations. The Jews worship everything he did. Yet we didn't see these great works out of him. It's his faith that they worshiped. It was their faith, his faith that they, they, they tried to follow at all times. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. These are all very important things. It, uh, Isaac gave the blessing over Esau, or over uh, Jacob, believing that he truly would be the heir of all that God promised. To the point that he said, I can't take it back, it is now on Jacob. And he truly believed wholeheartedly that was the case. Jacob wrestled with the Lord just to be close to the Lord, believed the Lord, and then prayed a blessing over the... While they're in, in Egypt, dependent completely on Egypt... And he's praying a blessing that there would be a, uh, a great promised land, right? Joseph believed it so much, he said, wherever you go, when you go into the promised land, take my bones with you. 
to me, that that's a faith. Like, I'd be like, all right, man, I ain't going to make it there, I guess. But he said, hey, when we get there, I'm going with you. Take my bones with you. He believed it. He believed what God told him. And you're talking, like, this isn't like I've waited 10 years for this blessing. We're talking about, like, we're waiting generations. And you remember, these people were old. They're waiting hundreds of years for this stuff. Yet they still did it. They still believed it. I can't imagine, you know, Abraham being 100 years old before his son's born. And then you see the ages of each one. And you're talking maybe 250 years old or later. And, like, the third or fourth generation still saying, I remember the promise that God gave my dad, my grandpa. I remember that. And I'm going to live it out. You know what I would do by then? I'd probably be like, I think grandpa didn't hear very well. Maybe grandpa didn't really know what he was talking about. Because things look a little different now than what he said they would. Right? But they didn't do that. They kept walking with the Lord. They kept having faith and believing what he told them. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This is a time period where every kid was supposed to be killed that was under the age of two. And they said, hey, we're going to hide him. King ain't even going to know. So what do they do? They put him in a basket. They float him out. They watch him. They, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a blind faith necessarily. It was one of those things that they had faith that if they let him go, that God would guide him to the right place, went right to the Pharaoh's uh, daughter, and she raised him. Actually, she didn't raise him. She took him in as her own son, brought in Moses' mom to raise him. But the mother had to have such a strong faith to do such a thing. I would have, I would have fled. I wouldn't have trusted the Lord in that. I would have said, okay, this is crazy. I'm not going to do this. What if my son drowns in the water? What if they kill him? I'm leaving. But they didn't do that, right? By faith, Moses... When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And a lot of people wonder how this happened. Well, how did he know there was a greater reward? Remember, his mom was the one who raised him. She was the one who was teaching him everything. She was able to teach him all the Jewish things. So he had uh, the pleasure of living in luxury in the, in the Pharaoh's palace, and he also had the luxury of learning the promises of God. And he chose the promises of God over the luxuries of the palace. That is a hard one. That is a tough one. You see all the provisions. You see all the stuff that, looks so good in the world. And he said, I don't want that. I want the promises of God. It's a hard decision. It's a hard decision for us. Sometimes we like to, we remember, like I got all these things I need to do. I, I, my comfort's here. And God said, I don't want you to choose the comfort. I want you to follow me. The kingdom of heaven, that is my promise to you. And sometimes we'd rather live in the kingdom of this world than we would in the kingdom of heaven. Moses didn't. He didn't live in the kingdom of the world. He lived in the kingdom of heaven. Messes up at first trying to do it on his own. Gets sent into the woods for 40 years before God comes and gets him. 
It's a crazy time. If you're 80 years old before God calls you, you're probably thinking he forgot you. But he still had faith. And he still believed. And he still followed it. He probably could have come back groveling, saying, hey, look, Pharaoh, I know I messed up, but I'm still your son. He could have probably done something, but he didn't. Right? What we remember is he starts stuttering and say, God, you can't use me. But ain't what God remembered. God said he had faith. Right? He didn't look at all of his failures, all of his mess-ups. He didn't look at Abraham. Abraham was a liar. He didn't look at Isaac, who seemed to be derelict in his fatherly duties. He didn't look at Jacob, who was a manipulator. He didn't look at those things. He actually looked at their faith. And sometimes we can look at ourselves and just see our flaws. Guess what? I have a lot. But God don't see my flaws. He sees my faith. He sees me walking with him. Right? By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It takes a lot of faith to believe that you put a blood, some blood on your house, that your babies won't be killed. But he did it because God told him it would work. I would have left town. I say that now I may not. But there's a point in time I would have left town. I would have been like, I'm just going to get out of here and I'll come back after you destroy everything. We're getting closer to the end. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak. Barak was a man who, uh, in Judges, God chose him to go lead an army, right? A small army against a bigger army. Barak was actually a good leader, but he had lacked confidence. So what does Barak say? He says, hey, Deborah, you go with me, and I'll do it. And Deborah said, forever people will see it as a woman being the one who took, takes the victory, right? Which wasn't actually the truth, because we still see Barak's name in the Hall of Faith. It's weird that he had a doubt. He didn't really know that he, that God could use him. Yet he's in the hall of faith. God counted it, uh, accounted it to him by his faith for doing what he called him to do. Did it look the way that it probably should have? No, I'd call him a coward at the time, but he did go. He did exactly what God called him to do. There was a great victory, and we see it. And then you go on, he says, he lists uh, Samson. We know all of Samson's mess-ups, right? Samson was wild as wild can get, yet his heart was still on God, right? His faith was in the Lord. He knew because God was on his side, he could not fail. Jephthah. This is, uh, Pastor Chad preached on this not long ago in Judges 11. Jephthah is the one born of the prostitute that, that nobody thought was any good, so they have him exiled out of the city. He raises up to be this great and mighty warrior, but nobody wanted anything to do with him. Because he was an illegitimate son. And then whenever they needed him, they go out and they say, hey, we need this dude. This is the only way God's going to save us. And then he's restored, right? God didn't look at the fact that he was born of a prostitute. God looked at the fact that he believed God could do mighty things in him. He had faith in the Lord. It's his faith. Then talks about David and Samuel. And all the prophets, and we look at those people, and you can find fault after fault after fault in every one of them, right? But when we look at them, they're these great and mighty warriors and heroes, even though they had a lot of faults. 
And the only reason why God could use them is because they had faith in Him and they were walking with Him. The two requirements to be used by God are faith and walking with Him. Right? It says, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of, power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies in flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept, uh, to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Like, a lot of that sounds good. You start out and you're at the front and you're talking about, wow, they escaped the edge of the sword, they were quenching fires, they were doing these conquering kingdoms, they were doing a lot of good things. And then it comes down to this one part, it's like, whoa, you you had me before, now you lost me. When it says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may might rise again to a better life. He's not saying we're all going to have a great life and be these powerful victors. He's saying He's promised you in a better life. He's promised you a kingdom of heaven. Right? You may do great works here on this earth. And you may get persecuted because you're following the Lord. But either way, you're following the Lord and you will one day be in the kingdom of heaven. And right now, we're still living in it. We have to live as if we're in the kingdom of heaven. Believing in that promise. Not like... We're living in a fallen world like a lot of us look around and we're like, this world's so messed up, it's fallen, I don't know what God can do. Oh, I just wish God would come. No, it's like, hey man, we're in the kingdom of heaven, start living that way. Start doing what I told you to do. Start witnessing, start talking to people, start, start doing these things. But first and foremost, have faith that I am God, I am in charge, and walk with me. Go where I go, do what I do, spend time with me. You can't have faith without spending time with God, I promise you that. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Man, these sounds like some really Hall of Faith people, huh? of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Yet all of these, though commended through their faith, or witnessed to because of their faith, did not receive what was promised. Every one of them died without receiving the promise. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart... From us, they should not be made perfect. We will probably, I don't, I don't want to say we won't be, there's a possibility that we will all be raptured. Just like Enoch. Enoch lived, we just know he was, he had faith, he lived with the Lord, and then whoof, raptured. That's what the word is, it's taken. We don't know why, we don't know what happened, we, we, There's nothing else written about it. There's not much about Enoch, but he's in the hall of faith. And we don't even know why. But he believed in something better. And we will probably die before we see the promised land. Before we're raptured. We probably won't be raptured. We may be. I hope we are. I hope the day on my way home, well, which isn't very far. But I hope I just get raptured. But I need to live in a way that I just know I'm going to the kingdom. 
Most of these people never saw the promise, yet they lived in the promise the whole time. They lived it out, right? And Ryan, you can come on up. I'm going to share a couple more scriptures, and then uh, we're going to close in prayer. In James 5.17, I always love this verse because it reminds me that people in scripture are just men. They're just people. They're just women. They're no different than you and I. Even though they wrote great stories about them, if you were there and had the faith and walking justly with the Lord and walking right with the Lord, you would have been in those same scriptures. It wasn't because they were anybody special. It's because God chose them because they had faith and they walked with Him, right? James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, right? And he prayed frequently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. He was no different than you and I. He just had more faith a lot of times than we did. I like that his nature was just like mine. It doesn't mean, it doesn't say Elijah was a man with a better nature than ours, or he was a man who did, who had the greater abilities than we do, or he was a man with a gifting that we don't have. It doesn't say any of that. It says he was a man with a nature just like ours. Yet we look at what he did a lot of times, we think, wow, I wish I could do some stuff like that. We can't. He didn't actually do it. He prayed for it, and God did it. He just had faith enough to pray that God would do some stuff. Right? His nature was just like ours. Isaiah 6, and this is what I'll close with here. Isaiah 6, verse 1, and this is what I want us to take away from this. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and two had covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That that there would be enough for me. I'd be undone. But then it said, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Now this is Isaiah saying this. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And when we enter in the Lord's presence, we are always going to be aware of our shortcomings. We're going to be aware of our problems. We're going to be aware of where we've been wrong, right? And that's what Isaiah did when he's in the presence of the Lord. The first thing he said was, woe is me. I'm in a place I should not be, Right? But then it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Guess what? Our sin's been taken away and our guilt's been atoned for, right? Our sin's been atoned for, our guilt's been taken away. It should be. Because Jesus paid the price. His blood has cleansed us. We are washed by the blood of the Lamb. We don't need an altar. We don't need the, the burning coal to touch our lips. We're made perfect because of who He is. Right? We've been atoned for. Just like Isaiah in that moment, 
there's no reason why we should sit here and say, oh God, I can't, I'm not worthy. We are worthy because Jesus Christ is worthy and he died for us. We are worthy, right? And it said, and I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go before us? And how many of us know Jesus said, hey, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. God's looking for people he can send. Yet a lot of times we're like, I can't do that. I'm not worthy. I have too much going on or you don't understand my shortcomings. Guess what? Everybody in scripture has shortcomings. The whole entire hall of faith had shortcomings. They had no reason why God should use them. Except for they had faith and they were walking with him. So only two things that have to be done for God to be able to use us. Faith and walking with him. They didn't go like, you never seen Abraham, like he didn't say, Abraham, before I use you, let me send you to school. Abraham, before I use you, I need to send you through this three-year course. Before I use you, I need you to get rid of everything else you have going on, right? He didn't say, hey, Jacob, you're a manipulator. As soon as that stops, I'll use you, right? He didn't say any of that. He didn't say, hey, Noah, I know after the flood, you're going to get drunk and defile yourself. He didn't say that. He said, hey, you have faith. You're walking with me. I'm going to use you. That's it, right? And so here's God looking at Isaiah who just said, I am unclean. I'm not worthy to be in your place. And he gets touched and he gets made clean just like we are when we come to the altar and we accept Jesus as our Savior and we repent of our sins. We're made clean. We're atoned for. And the Lord told him, he said, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And this is in heaven. And he said, here I am, Lord, send me. So when God asks, like when you're sitting here and you feel this calling from the Lord and the Lord says, hey, I need people to do things. Or the Lord's like, hey, I want you to do this. It should never be, but God, I can. Lord, like I have these issues I got to work out first. Oh, Lord, wait a minute. Wait until I make this amount of money. Or Lord, wait until this is done, right? There should never be a pause in, wait. It should be, Lord, send me. Lord, send me, right? He said, here I am, send me. That's what we should be saying. It should never be like, well, I don't really want to do that if we had this going on. No, when God calls, you say, here I am, send me. And he is asking that. Who is willing to follow me? Who is willing to serve me? And he didn't say who's willing to go out and do great works. Because as I said, Abraham didn't do that great of works. He just followed him. Went where God called him to. Right? Noah probably did a little better works because he built this gigantic ark. But he only did what God called him to do. And that's all God's asking of us. He's not asking us to be all-stars, right? He's not asking. It's not like an earthly thing. It's not like the awards of the world where you have to perform this great feat to be recognized. It's not who God chooses. He chooses those who have faith and willing to walk with Him. In fact, if you're really good at something and you can do it on your own, your faith is in you and He can't use you anyway. Right? He wants those whose faith is in Him, who trust Him. And when I look around this room, and uh, I shared this with Keith, I may have shared it with Jason, but I know I shared it with Keith one day. 
when I look around this room, like most churches would look in here, like most people, I won't say most churches, I'm going to say most people would look in here and they would look at all of us and they could find a fault of why none of us are worthy. I'm a single man. Most people wouldn't even let me preach in their church. Right? Pastor Chad has no formal education. We actually had people who didn't want him to be a pastor at higher levels than us. Right? Jason. Jason used to lack confidence like crazy. Most people, like when people walk in and they see Jason, they're like, what's going on? What happened to Jason? Right? And I can look around this room of people who most people would be like, I don't think so. But I look around this room and I'm like, these are the people God are going to use. And I already see him using so many of you. Right? You're right where God can use you. Because we're humble people. I hope we're humble people. I don't see anybody in here like, I got this. I'm going to take this on myself. No. You don't have to. You just got to say, God, here I am. Send me. That is all we have to do. And I am so grateful for that because if you've been around long enough, I've shared it many a times, I know nothing. I literally know nothing. Like if you ask me about ministry, I can't tell you how to do it. If you ask me how to minister to teenagers, and I've ministered to thousands of teenagers, literally thousands of teenagers. Ask me how I do it, and I'll tell you, I don't know. I pray and God does something. Right? I've preached a lot. Guess what? I'm not, I'm not that smart. But when I pray, God does something. When I trust the Lord, He can do something in me. Because I have faith that He'll do it. And I walk with Him. So when He calls me, I just say, here I am, Lord, send me. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, why are you not sending me? Send me now. And I'm going I'm to leave you with this before I pray. And uh, I share this a lot, but I believe it. Never pray a prayer you yourself are not willing to be an answer to. And we pray for so many things in this world. We pray for healings. We pray for things to change. We pray for this church to grow. We pray for so many things. But we pray hoping somebody else will be that answer. When we pray, ask the Lord, how can I how can you use me? Lord, I'm yours. Send me. There's an issue. Lord, I'm I'm willing. If you're not willing, He'll never use you. Because He'll never overstep your will. But if you say, Lord, have my will. Lord, I'm willing. Right? What's it say in Mark 9? The the man with his daughter who's sick, he said, God, he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? We need to be praying that way. Lord, I want to lead. I want to do it. But where I'm holding back, help me not hold back. Our prayers need to change of God just fix me so you can use me. It needs to be, Lord, I love you. You paid the cost. Use me. And guess what? Every one of us eventually will be inducted in the Hall of Faith. If we do that. It's a guarantee. And it doesn't take much. We're all future Hall Hall of Faith inductees. And you, you see it like it's not like the world standard where it's like that guy there threw for a million touchdowns. He's going, he's a future Hall of Famer. No. I'm going to say Grace has been walking with the Lord and she has faith. She's a future Hall of Faith person. Right? I'm not going to say, look at all this stuff she did. I don't care. 
As long as she's walking with the Lord, she has faith in the Lord, and she's willing, God's going to do something. Right? That's all we have to do. We're all messed up people. And if you're not messed up, you got bigger issues than the rest of us. Alright? So I'm going to close this in prayer. And if you need prayer, we'll be up here for anything. If there's for healing, for just trying to get outside of yourself to where you would be able to walk in faith. Whatever it is, we'll be up here to pray. Uh, I love you guys. So Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that even though we're not good enough on our own, Lord, because we have faith, because we're walking with you, Lord, you love us enough that you'll use us, Lord. And Father God, I pray that any doubt in us, Lord, anything that would hold us back, Father God, I pray that you would reveal that now, Lord, so we can turn it over to you and you can cleanse that too, Lord. Father God, here we are. Send us. Use us, Father God. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that your plans are better than ours, Lord. And I thank you that no matter what we see happen, all we have to do, Lord, is follow you. Lord, I pray for everybody here, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and you would change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. close this out in prayer but I just want to remind you that uh, I know I said I wouldn't trade anybody here and I wouldn't I everybody we have here and even the ones online I, I love our people that we have here this congregation is my favorite I wouldn't trade one person for somebody else and it uh, but God's the same way even more so He never looks at you and says, I wish you had more talent or I wish you were this way. He says, I love that one right there. Wait to see what I do in them. That's the way God works. It's not like he didn't tell Moses, like, well, let me fix your speech impediment. He said, hey, I created your mouth. Why don't you let me do something with it? Right? And that's the way it works. He just wants to do something with us. He just likes hanging out with us. I don't know what he's going to do. But I know he'll show off in you. So we'll close us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being here with us, Lord. God, I pray that only your words would stick in our hearts, God. I pray that each of us would be changed by your message, Lord. I pray as we go throughout this week, Lord, we can just walk with you in faith. And that we would trust you, Lord. And we allow you to use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.